Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Welcome to the Lit Poetry Podcast Season 1. My name is James Laidler, Australian poet, writer and your host. In today's episode, we'll be cutting off branches and uncovering the roots of the past with the poem Family Tree by Australian poet Michelle Seminara. This poem comes from her soon-to-be-released collection of poems entitled Suburban Fantasy, published by the University of Western Australia Press. This book is going to be launched uh, in June this year. Michelle has kindly agreed to join us here on the Lit Poetry podcast to discuss both her new collection and the poem of hers that we'll be featuring in today's episode. So welcome, Michelle, to the program. It's an absolute pleasure to have you as our very first guest on the Lit Poetry podcast. Hi, James. Thank you so much. I'm completely honoured, especially to be your first guest. (laughs) Well, that's, that's no problem at all. So, Michelle, maybe we can start just a little bit because our audience may not be very familiar with your work. Can you tell us a little mm-hmm. a bit about yourself as, as a poet and, you know, uh, maybe some of your inspirations or even how you came to love poetry as your life developed and that sort of thing? Mm. Well, I'm quite surprised to be a poet. Um, I've always loved reading and and we know, read poetry from a very young age, but I uh, never thought I would find myself writing it. I just didn't um, think I would be any good, basically. Uh, and I think it wasn't until I turned about 40, I suddenly developed this love for poetry. And I think it may have been because our family was going through some quite, you know, difficult, challenging times and... Uh, I had three quite young children. I didn't have much time on my hands, but I really needed to express myself and get some stuff out. And I think that's where poetry really comes to it, uh, comes before. You know, it deals with the very deep, um, very deep things in life. And um, also being a mom at that time with quite young kids, I literally did not have my hands free to sit and write, but I wanted to write. So I found that poetry was a great medium because I was able to write in my head mm. while my hands are full of babies and washing and so on and then write it down later. So it was a little bit of um, necessity, mm. uh, emotional and um, yeah, physical. So uh, would it be right to say that it gave you some sort of sense of sanity? Is there a connection between that reality that you've lived and your love of poetry and the evolution of this particular work? Yeah, I think there is. I think, um, you know, I'm a big fan of... Um, you know, it's a bit cliché, but I don't care. I'm a big fan of um, more confessional poets like Sexton and Plath. Um, you know, I love Larkin, um, Elizabeth Bishop and so on. I, I, I love um, gutsy female poetry that really uh, speaks about the truth of, um, you know, of life um, as a woman, as a mother and so forth. So, yeah, I think there is definitely a correlation and Suburban Fantasy is a book... Um, it's more of a David Lynch than a Betty Crocker sort of thing. It's um, <laughs> yep, yep. it's the underbelly, you know, the dark side of um, 
what goes on behind all those closed doors. And yeah, just, yep. just people's sense that as they do get older, and I think 40 is always a big one for people in their life. You mm. get to a certain point and you sort of spend the first half of your life aspiring to or trying to build something up in terms of family or career or whatever your aspirations are. And then um, then the reality of what you have mm. is often very different from the dream that you're sold. So, yeah, the mm. book explores that quite a lot. Yeah, and I imagine, you know, coming into, you know, turning 40, that there's, there's a lot of fertile ground that you can draw from, a lot of experiences of life that flow into your work as well. Did you say, is that, and you, you talk about the exploration of, of sort of dark material. So can you tell us a little mm. bit about how suburban fantasy actually, you know, to what extent does it actually map your life or is it, it or, or is it, are you reflecting on things outside your life as well or, you know, what sort of mixture of material? Um, yeah, it? I think it's, it's probably, you know, 50-50. It's definitely um, the inspiration and the sort of emotional spark, you know, comes from all personal experiences mm. but from there, um, yeah, the book definitely launches, launches off to um, talk about, um, you know, just the social issues, for example, you know, just um, function and dysfunction within families, um, uh, mental health and just the position of, um, you know, women within society and so forth. So, yeah, there's definitely a, um, not all naval games. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I, that's certainly the, the way I find your poetry. So, you know, I've been reading your upcoming work and I found it like it's kind of reminiscent of Plath to me that it, it does have this real personal bent to it that's, that actually makes it very, very strong and poignant. But it also, I think it's talking about something far more universal. So I think there's, there's a, it's sort of the sort of poetry that you can really relate to that also has an edge of social critique about it oh, thank you yeah yeah I definitely hope it's universal I think sometimes when you write the more particular and personal you get the more universal something can become because if you're being sort of quite brutally honest then um, you know at the heart of it we all go through you know certain just human experiences and I think people um, can relate and I quite mm. like I'm more of a better out than in poet I suppose so I quite like to be brave and to um, say the things you know that aren't necessarily easy to say or to hear and I think that helps other people yeah, well, read I, them and know they're not alone well I wonder if that's that's part of the purpose of poetry that to, to write the words that people are often feeling but can't express and to uh, probably help people not feel alone in, in in that reality as well. A sense of solidarity. Mm. It's a it's a it's a very important medium, I think. Um, the work. Yeah, that, I I do believe that. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so what really interests me about the work is it's um it's it's sectioned off. Is there's four sections of the collection, and I'll just uh, tell the mm-hmm. audience a little bit about it. So, first section is called Blood Nature. The second section is Suburban Fantasy. The third section is Second Coming. I'm not sure um, if that's a reference to a particular poem. could be. We'll find that out soon. And, and the, the final one is Incarnation, I believe. Or Incarnate? Incarnate, yeah. Incarnate, yeah. yeah. So could you give us a little bit of background about what you're thinking behind these sections and what they perhaps represent or what sort of journey you're taking the reader on through with them? Sure. Um well, I suppose, you know, generally when you're putting together a poetry manuscript, it's always a little bit of magic and 
we're hoping things will coalesce because you know usually um, as poets are writing individual poems or suites of poems and and there's going to be themes that that emerge but to get that to you know come into something that, as you say I think a poetry manuscript when you're sequencing it has to become more than the sum of its parts you know it just mm. has to take the reader on a journey so yes. as I was Putting all the poems together, you know, there are many poems that I think in themselves are quite reasonable poems that could have been in the collection, but out they had to go because they didn't fit in thematically. And so, it, mm. as I sort of shuffled the papers around on the floor, as you do, you know, mm. um, a theme started to emerge, and those four sections seemed to make a kind of thematic um, sense to me. So, I think Blood Nature is um, poems written, you know, several years ago now, but more when I was in really the thick of a whole lot of, you know, really full-on emotional stuff. And mm. I think those poems really reflect that. Mm. And um, and then sort of moving on from that, um, coming on to suburban fantasy once again, taking that but looking out more universally at mm. the experiences of other people in their domestic situations and, and particularly women and, and mm. mothers as well as a, as a big theme there. Um, and in Second Coming, I think there's a piece that is, or a wisdom that is starting to emerge. It's looking back over experiences rather than being in the very thick of them and finding teachings and learnings and yes, reflecting yes. upon them and coming to a sort of a peace, mm. a peace with those situations. And mm. um, in Incarnate, even zooming further back, I suppose, and just thinking about the human condition mm. um, in general and uh, impermanence and death and so on. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, no, that really connects with me, what you're saying there. Interestingly, the, the poem we're going to listen to today, which is a video now on YouTube on the Lit Poetry site for Family Tree. So that's the name of the poem, Family Tree. It actually comes from the first section of the collection called Blood Nature, which you just mentioned is you reflecting on the past and your emotional experience and that sort of thing. Would that be true mm-hmm. to say over this poem? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this one was written several years ago, and uh, yeah, at a time when you know things seemed a little bit dire. So it does it does reflect that in its in its imagery um, and subject matter. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's have a listen to the poem, and then we'll um, maybe try to unpack it. Great. Okay. Tree by Michelle Seminera. They cut the limbs off first of that tree, which is me, the one which blares the blaring yellow X on its chest. The arborist's eye could see it had been wounded long ago. Then disease entered the hole at its heart. Then necrosis, gliding through the vessels in a cool gray onslaught. Weakening the branches we once festooned for Christmas and Halloween. Nobody noticed for a long time, especially I didn't notice. Not until the last leaves slipped to the pavement did I look up. They amputate the limbs to make it easier to fell. I know that feeling. Now all through the house, 
the stench of diesel and that terrible, enraged squealing. Great. So, yeah, that's the, the poem. So just a little bit of background about Family Tree. So uh, Michelle and I started talking to each other online. We've both got uh, different projects we've been working on. One of mine is actually uh, taking poems and trying to create video poems. What are the themes of the ideas? What, what, what was it behind Michelle's thinking when she created this very evocative poem? So over to you, Michelle. Thank you, and thank you so much for making it into a into a video. It was um, so so beautiful to see. You know, it's such a um, privilege to have somebody take something you've created and reinterpret it in a different artistic format. I think that um, what you're doing with the video poetry on this poetry is very exciting, and I'm you know so happy to have been a, a little part of that. And I absolutely love the video. I hope. Um, people go and have a little look at it and your other videos because um yeah i think you're doing some beautiful work and i find it very exciting that um there's more of this happening in australian poetry that the words aren't just staying on the page they're being reinterpreted in like a visual and audio medium um so yeah with family tree as i said written quite a few years ago and one of the um I think that in this poem, there's quite a lot of violent imagery in a way. Mm, um, and one of the things, yeah, one of the things I loved about your interpretation of it um, in the poetry video was the fact that it was very calm, um, the juxtaposition of the very calm narration mm. and the music. Mm. And then um, there's uh, imagery of, you know, um, tree lopping happening. Mm. And so there's that juxtaposition of that sort of violence or the amputation of the mm. tree limbs. And it's very calm. Um, um, background and and I like that because I think it actually makes it actually all the more sinister to be honest. <laughs> well, it, it, yeah, I think that's true and I, I think when you think about family and, and I mean, this is a universal thing that you know every family has levels of dysfunction they come in different forms mm. of course but, but, but so often you know, it, it's very much often behind closed doors. It's, it's like a People put a spin on family and there's a veneer that people see, which I think the, the poem mm. kind of connects with this this kind of sort of quite tranquil music. And yet under the surface, mm. there's this this much more sinister work of sort of pulling down this tree and, you know, the idea of disease certainly comes into the poem and uh, that sort of thing. So I suppose from my perspective, I'm really interested because it's, it's clearly a, some sort of extended metaphor that you're playing mm. with here with the tree. So, uh, and you don't have to go there if you don't want to, but uh, it would be interesting to hear your thoughts about uh, a little bit about what, what you know, what's the background with with what's going on in this poem. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, a lot of it is some aspects of it are quite autobiographical. There actually was a tree outside our house, mm. a very lovely tree, and it did get that big yellow X in it. You know, when they they've okay. decided someone in council has decided that it's. Um, you know, it's not safe. It was you know, hanging over a footpath and had the X of it, the big yellow spray paint. So, you know, it, we could tell it was going to come down. And it was, it was, um, you know, a tree. I'm a bit of a hippie, a bit of a tree hanger. I was yeah, quite fond yeah. of. <laughs> yeah. And also, it just kind of 
I don't know, for me it just became to symbolise because of the timing of this um, tree coming down, a lot of things that was were happening within my family structure at the time. So things where um, that you were cobbling things together, uh, you know, everyone trying their best to get on, hope things would be okay. And it, at a time when the wheels just fell off and it just was very clear that it was no longer, um, mm. it was no longer okay. And so um, I just, I actually felt a real sort of simpatico with this tree. It felt yeah. like yeah. one by one my limbs were being, not myself um, just as an individual, mm. but my family. And I suppose as a mother you have that sense of mm. being very much responsible for, you know, and of course as a father as well, you know, responsible for your your family, mm. your children and so forth and, and trying very hard to um, keep it all healthy and having to come to a point where you realise that's not necessarily within your control and you kind of do need to let some things go, let some limbs drop off or, or the whole thing comes down and you rebuild. So it, the, the downing of this tree physically, you know, outside a house happened mm. to coincide with that sort of um, metaphorical um, or emotional, you know, action. And um, yeah, so you're right, it just became an extended mm. metaphor. I really felt like that poor old tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you, I mean, you mentioned the tree also and how it played a role in Christmas and Halloween celebrations. And I mm. So that was literally something that happened that, that you would light it up with them. Yeah, yeah. When my, when my kids were smaller, you know, it was lovely. We'd put all the Christmas lights out there, Halloween. We were one of those houses mm. that would, you know, like Halloween, my favourite holiday, I think. So, you mm. know, put all the, all the stuff. And so it was just, yeah, it was just something that we had to let go and it was symbolic of letting go of lots of I suppose dreams and aspirations perhaps for your family or yeah. your relationships or the dynamics things that you had hoped would be ideal and that you as you mature and as everybody you know everybody's own different personalities and issues you know families are such complicated structures to just realize that that ideal was a, a sense in a fantasy and you're left with something much more complex Mm, yeah, yeah, and and I, I find the the line that you know, nobody noticed for a long time, especially I didn't notice, mm. quite very powerful. And I, I assume here that, like, could you say it's partly autobiographical, but you're also mm. something else. It's it's a deeper commentary. I, I imagine that again is probably perhaps universal. Can you, can you tell me about that sort of sentiment you were trying to get to there? Yeah, I think you're right. I think with that, it's, it's once again that idea of, um, you know, we, we tend to keep ourselves busy and especially when you have young children and a family, you just keep going, you know, you just mm. keep doing what you can do and um, when things are diseased, you know, in a sense, symbolically, when there's issues you're not dealing with, mm. um, they, they are eroding from the inside but up to a yeah. certain point. You can look away and pretend these things aren't happening. And I think that everyone can relate to that in different aspects of their lives. So, yeah, I think um, uh, that's that's what those lines are referring to. And I think probably, you know, in a sense, as, as the mother of my family on a more individual level, I was probably the last one to notice, well, probably the first and the last, or the first to notice, but the last to accept, you know, because it's, it's difficult yeah. to accept. Um, it is, it more is. complex realities, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I think probably everyone's familiar too with family problems in 
in households and st- stuff where there, there are, you know, in some ways there's an inability to actually acknowledge some, some problems because it goes against the, the narrative. Mm. And, that, and those breakthrough moments where things do get actually seen for what they are, sometimes kind of mm. never really appear in, in for some families. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's too painful. And, and, but when they do come, they, they can be yeah, extremely traumatic. Mm. Yeah, and it's very much a sense of rather than trying to fix what's there, sometimes you have to let things fall, yes. you know, you have to, or you have to cut them down or, or cut certain things off and, and then, then you have to rebuild again. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's that moment where you sort of realise that um, as much as you, if you've tried to mm. make things okay, it's yep. just not within your power. And yeah, yeah, it's a very human moment. It's not necessarily to do with families or mm. parenthood, but just it, it happens in many aspects of our lives where we try, try, try to control things to make them okay. And at a certain point, we realize it's not in our power. And what do you do then? You have to accept that. Mm. You're very humbled and you really need to, um, the help of others to help rebuild yourself and, and rebuild your life so I just yeah I think that's one of the strengths of poetry it deals it allows you to um, uh, sort of encode that emotion you know within the within the words and and transport into the reader's heart you know so have yeah. like a little explosion inside them and they actually experience that with you and especially mm. if they've had you know similar experiences um, mm. so they are universal it, that's where poetry I think real strength lies, you know, oh, absolutely. in dealing with that, that deep, dark stuff. And I, that's for yeah. myself. That's whenever I read poetry, that's what I'm looking for. You know, that's just me. But I think many people turn to something like poetry in a similar way they turn to, say, a spiritual or religious practice. Yeah. Um, they're looking for meaning. They're looking for um, some wisdom or some way to get through a dark moment or to understand things in a different manner. Mm. And, yeah. I think, and I think they're trying to also dig down to the, the, the truth of things, you know, what's under all the subterfuge mm. and all that sort of stuff. I, I know it's quite interesting with poetry, look, so I teach poetry as well. And um, just recently mm. I was teaching The, the Windhover uh, by Jared Manley Hopkins, which is a, it's a, it's a mm. poem of joy, really. There's this guy watching a falcon in the, in the, in the, in the sky and the, the words themselves dance on the page like the falcon does it's an amazing poem it's it's full of joy mm. and the kids were really that I was teaching were really struggling to understand why this poem was really important and why it was so rare and, and eventually a, a student understood and was able to name that it's a poem about joy so and that's very different from pleasure and it was a fantastic conversation where we were talking about how our world runs on pleasure. We're all seeking pleasure. But in some ways, pleasure is a like a mutated form of what the best stuff is. And the best stuff is actually joy. And joy is something that is outside yourself. It's beyond yourself. It's not about mm. pulling into yourself. It's about, it's about moving into something bigger than you. It's, um, mm. it's like celebration. And, you know, the smiles on their faces when they, they left that class, I, I remember, because I think it was just the thought that they don't think about enough, you know, and we don't think about enough. Mm. Um, so I think you're right there that whether it's dark or whether it's light, poetry allows us to explore emotions that we neglect and that we need to, you know, you know draw out into the light mm. in some way. So, 
Mm. Oh yeah, that's so beautiful. That's a gorgeous, um, a gorgeous example. Yeah, yeah, no, it's no, it's, it's a, it was a very, very good class actually. Um, so I, I think this is a fantastic poem. The other thing that sort of uh, I think warrants attention, I was really curious about. So early on in the poem, it talks about the um, blaring yellow X on the chest of the tree and the arborous eye. So mm. it, it seems to me the, the start of the poem there is this sort of sense that there is um, an outside world that's in judgment looking in. Um, and I, I suppose I, I have questions. So it's about a family tree. It's about you, but there's also this perception of of, of something from the outside as well. Like, um, um, do you have any thoughts about that? Because that, that really sort of um, pricked my curiosity. Oh, that's really interesting. I actually hadn't thought about that in relation to this poem. I love it when people bring up mm. things in your own poetry like that. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, one of um, a lot of the poems, especially in this first section of suburban fantasy, um, you know, as I said, they do come from quite personal experience and they were, um, you know, difficult times and written in the midst of those difficult times. So, yeah, a lot of the themes are similar uh, in this poem and those other poems in that section um, do explore the idea of what happens when you, when the wheels do come off and when everyone just has to stick and starkly look at the truth and when you can no longer present the, the pretty picture um, to the world, you know. So I had another poem, I think it was from my first um, collection called A Graft and it was called That House. And it was basically about becoming that house in the street, oh, right. you yeah. know, the one yeah. where there's a police car pull up or an ambulance pull up or yes, people yeah. are looking, craning their heads because the screaming's coming from out of there. And, yeah. and it's like that sort of thing when you can no longer... Um, put up that facade um, and it really cracks you open in mm. a way um, mm. uh, which yeah, is true. very humbling sometimes even humiliating you know but you've got to it's at a point where you can no longer paper over things and so you know perhaps the arborist I refers to that sort of um, outside gaze and also mm. to the gaze of you know the mental health system um, yeah. psychologists yeah. psychiatrists and so on because sure. there's a lot of um when you're having those, you know, sort of issues, obviously you're, you're mm. seeking help in different ways um, for yourself, your family members and family mm. generally. And um, you get a variety of specialists, you know, giving you um, advice, some of which is very helpful and mm. some of which is quite harmful often. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It is, and, and maybe you could even make an argument. But it's very interesting when you when you do poetry, and I love talking about this with students as well. How really, you know, meaning is not fixed in a in a poem. That you certainly have had intent in creating your poem, mm. but really, you know, the the reader reads completely other meanings into it, and they're all legitimate interpretations in some way. They're like we create mm. meaning when we read, which is a very fascinating idea. Um, which, yeah. which goes against you know traditional models of education, which still people haven't sort of sort of come to, to grips with that, that this is the reality it's not like mm. an author has these pearls of wisdom and then they sort of pour it all into the the text and that is the fixed meaning and well it, it doesn't work that way and mm. I, I suppose with the arborist i suppose just off the top of my head as my own reading i could say well in some ways your present self or the, the self you were when you wrote this poem it, you are the arborist so you're the the arborist mm. looking back and and assessing and 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 looking at the wounded past and all that sort of stuff. So, mm. 
So that's probably another interpretation you could look. You could yeah, no, I love that. Mm. Yeah, it's the best, isn't it? It's the best thing about poetry, and I can see why for students it could be like challenging at first to be encouraged to relate to a text in that way because it's much easier to just be told well here here's what it means and yes, you know you, you regurgitate right. that but that can't be done with poetry and that you know that's no, one of the no, greatest no, beauties no and and, it, and, it should, and it, a poem is something that you should be able to come back to and find new meaning and it might change with you know where your life is at Best poems do that, I think. They, they just constantly mm. give to you at different points in your life. Absolutely, yeah. Wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of sit in your heart. You carry them around and then at the time they ripen, you know, at different times and in different ways. Mm. And, and where it's very different from fiction, like I, I think, you know, again, we live in a world of, you know, polarised thinking where people want to know... The value of something they want to know what's the right way to act what's the, the not right way and they people feel very uncomfortable sort of existing in that gray area in between i think poetry presents you with that gray area it doesn't give definitive mm. you know this way or not that way like it has value systems embedded in it but it's a wrestle you mm. know the poetry is essentially encourages you to go into a wrestle and that's not a comfortable state and so yeah I think when when and, and that's a good thing to talk about with people and why you should read poetry. And, and, but you need to come with it this, with the state of mind that I'm up for the wrestle. I'm up for the, the exploration and I mightn't feel, I might be in, my, you know, un- in that sort of discomfort zone. But that's, that's the fertile mm. ground where things actually grow. So. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And often like, you know, was it T.S. Eliot? I think he said, you know, paraphrasing something about, you know, a poem, you, you can know a poem before you understand a poem. You know, it's yes. not an intellectual. We, we really, um, you know, focus on intellectual understanding of text mm. and poetry subverts that. It, it, it's a slippery little sucker. It will not be pinned down and it doesn't just work on one level. That's its beauty. So, um, you know, there are many poems which uh, I just love. They mean so much to me. But, yes. uh, for example, if I had to analyze analyze them I'd be very hard pressed to to write a few coherent mm. sentences about them but it doesn't matter because no. they mean something and they reverberate through your, your mind and your spirit in a different way than a strictly um sort of intellectual understanding can yeah absolutely absolutely I completely agree with that so look we just might have a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about a few other things Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast and we have Michelle Seminara here discussing her poetry and um, Family Tree, one of her poems in particular. And I suppose we've got to that point in the discussion where I'd just like to sort of go a little bit sideways and just talk about poetry in general. Now, Michelle's deeply involved with a website um, platform called Verity La and I think it would be great for her to actually advertise that here and tell us a little bit about her work with that website and what the, what the, what they're doing with it, yeah. So over to you, Michelle. Ah, oh, thanks, James. Um, yeah. So Verity La, I've been managing editor there for I think about five years now. It's kind of crept up on me, and um, 
I started just as a poetry reader on the journal. Um, also, Nigel Featherston um, was the managing editor for about five years before that. So I didn't have any aspirations um, to sort of run a literary journal, and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. But he, um, you know, to focus more on his own writing, he needed to um, step back from that. And, you know, no one else put their hand up and I, I loved the journal and didn't want to see it go under so I decided to quite bravely or naively or both step up and um, try and uh, figure out how to run it and it's you know year by year been progressing and, and growing from there but um, for me you know we've published all sorts on Verity Love so you know we're poetry fiction non-fiction reviews and interviews but for me um, I must admit I am we do publish probably more poetry than anything because yeah. I am a bit biased <laughs> Yeah, well, I think there's some spectacular poetry there, and I think uh, what you do really well too is that you've given you've given a platform for, you know, some marginal voices uh, to sort of um, get their chance to be heard as well. Um, there's a real host mm. of voices, and I've, I've read through some of the poetry there, and it's it's beautifully presented. There's this really nice sort of motif of black and white imagery that that runs through the whole thing, which is gorgeous when you see it. It's uh, quite stunning. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, we're very lucky to have um, Karen use our um, web site designer. She jumped in, and she's gorgeous. She's a she's a writer herself, and mm. this is her little side gig. Doing um, she's a great children's author, but she um, she was lovely, and she said, "Oh, would you like some help? Your website's looking a little bit old." And I said, "Okay." So <laughs> when she looked behind the scenes, she was like, "Oh my gosh, how is this website even still standing? Do you ever update anything?" <laughs> Technically, I'm not the most, you know, mm. I know how to press the buttons and make the posts appear and make it look nice, but I certainly don't really, um, I'm no great tech guru. So she stepped in and I think she's created the most beautiful site. I love it. Yeah, well, I think on the literary scene, I think Verity La is, is it really, it's uh, performing a great task for, for Australia, actually, and the, and the world for that matter. And yeah, oh, I would, you, do you yeah. really want to encourage people to check it out? So the website there, I assume it's just uh, www.veritylaw.com. So V-E-R-I-T-Y-L-A.com. So definitely check mm-hmm. that out. So a couple of more things about maybe the website or poetry in general. So, so what sort of state do you think Australian poetry is in? Uh, you're probably got your finger on the pulse a little bit and um, you know poets and you've been publishing poetry. Uh, and what's the, mm. the future look like for Australian poetry in general? I think that um, generally there's a lot of really exciting voices and exciting things happening. Unfortunately, in terms of where you can get published and your chances of getting a book published and so on, um, those opportunities are drying up at quite an alarming rate. You know, as art funding has been diminishing, um, literature generally, you know, doesn't get much of a share of art funding to start with and poetry is sort of the very poor end of literature you know Mm. so um, you know there's a lot of really talented people doing really exciting stuff unfortunately in Australian culture there's not a huge appreciation of poetry generally Mm. and certainly not a lot of resources so you know many of the um, many of the poetry publishers uh, in terms of you know being able to get a book published you know they, they only take a handful of, of books every year or they've, you know, they've closed down completely. So at the moment, I think it's, mm. it's quite a difficult time for poets to get their work out there and certainly 
there's a big push, you know, to pay poets, to pay writers, to pay editors. And that's something we've always endeavoured to do on Verity La and we've managed to to some extent. But if the money isn't there, you can't mm. magically make it appear either. So, um, no. yeah, it's a bit of a catch-22, that one. It is, and it's, I think it's the great dilemma for Australia because we have such a small population that, that really mm. makes it very hard for um, writers in Australia to, to make a... A living. I think most writers and poets in Australia have yeah. to hold down other jobs. Uh, writing is really oh, just absolutely. something they do on the side. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think also... And I think that's one thing... Sorry, go on. Oh, no, no I was just going to say that... And so with Verity La, which you do take submissions, I know you're not taking submissions at the moment, but for people to have access to a website like that where they can potentially get their work published because, you know, part of the goal of if you want to get poetry published and collections that you need to actually be getting your work regularly published in journals. Yeah, very, you need to get a little bit hmm, of a... You need to get noticed. Little, a few runs on the... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you do. And, and again, exactly. I think... But, but I think that's that's fantastic and, and what a great role that you're, 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 you're providing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, but sorry, I can't yeah, we, there. We've been very lucky. No, that's okay. I was going to say, we've been so lucky. We've got some we, you know, fabulous editors on the journal. As you said, we have different streams of publishing for... Um, you know, different types of voices and some really experienced editors um, working in terms of, um, you know, we've got Clozapine Clinic, which mm. is one of my favourite um, publishing streams on the journal, headed up by Tim Heffern and Annalise Blaney. So, you know, the, their um, peer support workers working in the mental yeah. health system, Tim's the um, Deputy Mental Health Commissioner for New South Wales and a fabulous poet. And so, mm. um, you know, that stream of publishing, for example, um, yeah, uh, um, takes the from people identifying as having mental health issues and yeah. so you get mentorship and it's just mm. fabulous I think um, you think my some of my favorite works on the journal have come through those specialized streams of publishing because yeah. um, I think that when people are living sometimes um, through more extreme situations um, so for mm. example if they are struggling with their mental health or whatever it is or more living on the margins of society for whatever reasons, then um, this is when poetry is, it's its not just an intellectual exercise, mm. it's, it's a part oh, of survival, yeah. it's a passion. Yes. People really write from the depth yeah. of themselves and it, and it leads to really interesting, um, not just uh, changes in, in subject matter and intensity of the work, but also the form of the work. You know, I know in Clozapine Clinic, um, as people are looking for an objective correlative in the in the form of the poem um, or the prose piece, you know, mm. that, that correlates with their internal um, sense of time and reality and what's happening. They, they break and fracture and change yeah. form in a really interesting way. So yeah. some of my favourite works... Um, through those well, um, and it's great specialized publishing streams. Yeah, and you're giving voice to those on the margins. And I think you're, the, the politics of inclusion that's at the heart of what you're doing is, is, is very, very, very important in a society like oh, us because you. those voices from the margin is, uh, uh, have the potential to actually change the dominant culture. And, and if they're not heard, yeah. change won't happen. So, um, yeah, again, exactly. so yeah, more and it's reason nice to... to to read the poetry that's available on Verity La. It's very, very important. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah it's lovely to bring people, um, yeah, just on centre stage as well. That's a platform that you can offer to people. Um, and I, that's one of the things um, I like about the journal is that we publish um, one individual piece. Um, when we, we're not publishing it, when we do twice a week. And so, therefore, um, 
everyone gets to be star of the week. Your your piece isn't buried amongst um, 50 other pieces mm. as it would be if a big issue of work was being published. So it really does um, platform people's um, voices. But yeah. another thing um, I'd like to do more on the uh, with the journal is to be more outward looking, to look mm. more internationally. We're mm. getting a lot of international submissions at the moment, and there's some you know interesting things happening in um, countries all around the world, and especially you know as I'm more clued in with with poetry. Um, and I think one of the one of the downsides of Australian poetry is we can get a bit insular, you know. Most journals publish, yeah, particularly, you know, mainly Australian work, and everyone's kind of looking inwards at each other. And there's a big wide world out there, and I think um, we would benefit from looking outwards, especially now. Yeah. It's so easy to do so, and for Verity yes. La being a solely digital platform, it's it's, um, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, we'll just take a quick break, and I'll come back with a final question for you. Okay, Michelle. Okay, so this is um, the first interview that we've actually done on Lit Poetry and I, I figured I actually wanted to finish by something maybe I'll do with all the guests that we have on and I just want you to take a moment and Michelle, can you tell us if you were to pitch, if I was to ask you, why poetry? What would you want to say to our audience? Well, I think we've touched upon it um, throughout throughout our you know chat. I, for me, why poetry is because um, when there are those intense um, emotions or experiences you know in your life or the lives of others, it seems like poetry is um, to me you know one of the only forms that is able to express um, and channel that sort of energy, whether that be a joy or a deep sorrow. And I think this is one of the reasons why, you know, people who maybe never um, read or poetry at, at funerals and at, you know, weddings, it's trundled out. The big mm. moments, poetry is there. And that's, I think, that's, I think one of its functions. It's a, you don't have to worry about uh, plot or narrative or other sort of devices. It's, it's um, uniquely um, placed to be able to speak to what is deepest, I think, in the human condition and heart and soul. Oh, well, that's a, that's a wonderful answer and a great way to start our interviews here on Lit Poetry. So I want to thank you, Michelle, for talking to us today and uh, sharing your wonderful poem, uh, Family Tree. And I encourage people in June. It is June when the, um, the suburban fantasy comes out. Is that correct? Yes, it's coming out in June. I'll, I'll get a launch. I've started thinking I have to figure out launches and readings and things, <laughs> which I'm, you know, a bit shy. But it's part of the part of the job. So, yeah, June. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's been wonderful having you. Now, before I leave, I just want to remind all our listeners that if you're after more poetry resources, feel free to visit our website at litpoetry.com. A fantastic video of this poem, Family Tree, is also available on our YouTube channel. If you'd like to support our work, we'd really appreciate if you'd subscribe to our podcast or our Lit Poetry YouTube channel. We'll finish with one last hearing of the poem. And again, thanks to you, Michelle. And um, yeah, uh, we'll speak again in the future, no doubt. Thank you so much, Jane. Okay, see you later.
Family Tree by Michelle Seminara. They cut the limbs off first of that tree, which is me, the one which blares the blaring yellow X on its chest. The arborist's eye could see it had been wounded long ago. Then disease entered the hole at its heart. Then necrosis, gliding through the vessels in a cool gray onslaught, weakening the branches we once festooned for Christmas and Halloween. Nobody noticed for a long time, especially I didn't notice. Not until the last leaves slipped to the pavement did I look up. They amputate the limbs to make it easier to fell. I know that feeling. Now all through the house, the stench of diesel and that terrible, enraged squealing. You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.